0: We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Good evening. My name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here, and we're thankful that you're here. Um, People are still getting coffee, which is fine. You're welcome to go do that as I preach. So uh, we're looking at the story of Joseph. And um, he is part of this uh, original family of God, which some people describe as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And the story of Joseph is the story of uh, primarily the idea of providence, the idea of providence. Um, God was creating the nucleus of his kingdom with this family. And in the story of Joseph, we realize that the family of God, the, the kingdom of God that he's bringing onto this earth is a kingdom where uh, we of all people acknowledge that there's this one God who rules over everything, all of our sin and suffering, and he rules with grace, and he has purposes for life in all of that. That's very unique to the people of God. So we have this precious doctrine of what we call Providence. And Joseph, if you know the story of Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his brothers who hated him. And he spent uh, many years in slavery, over a dozen. He spent two years in jail unjustly for a crime he didn't commit. Um, And during those years, he must have meditated on the fact that he had heard about Abraham's promises to bless the whole world through Israel. Uh, he knew about the birth of Isaac that was miraculous. He had heard about uh, his father Jacob's uh, experience with the, the ladder where the angels came up and down and then wrestling with God on the Jabbok River. He had heard all these stories and now he's thinking, how is this going to be fulfilled when I am here in this prison? And he had these dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. He's thinking, how is this going to be fulfilled? And He just thought and thought for 22 years about this idea of providence. And how is this, what is happening to me, part of God's purpose is to bring life to this planet. So I want to look at um, providence, the idea that all these terrible things that happen are not accidents, they are not bad luck, they are not random, as terrible as they are. uh, And then the idea that if you think in that way of providence, that this is not just all a big accident, um, that changes your mindset. It changes the way you approach everything. It changed Joseph's heart in this story. So first of all, Providence. Uh, Joseph, just to remind you, Joseph was the favorite child of Jacob. And he happily announced that to his brothers. He let them know, I'm the favorite child. And then he boasted about these dreams that he had about them. And they hate him. His 11 other brothers hate him. And they try to kill him. They throw him in a pit. But God intervenes, and he, instead of dying, he... He goes to Egypt as a slave, and down in Egypt he becomes, as I said, unjustly imprisoned. But God intervenes again, and not only gets him out of prison, but he makes Joseph into the prime minister of Egypt. He raises him up, and the reason he did that is because Joseph had this ability to predict dreams, and to, he saw this dream of a famine coming, he predicted the famine, so he stored all this grain, and then when the famine came, the Pharaoh made him the prime minister in charge of world relief. and giving out this grain. And so the whole world came to Egypt for the grain. And Joseph knew that his brothers were going to come down eventually. He knew that they'd have to come for grain. And they come to him, and they don't recognize him because he's wearing all the Egyptian garb and he's now 22 years older. They don't don't recognize him, but he recognizes them um, because there are 10 of them. The other brothers back home, there are 10 of them uh, they're clearly speaking in Hebrew, so they're different. He recognizes them. And also, they're bowing down to him, just like in the dream he had. So he's seen the dream fulfilled, and he knows God is up to something. And he wants to open up. All this is happening in the uh, the, the um, Pharaoh's palace, the palace of Pharaoh, in the, in the main courtroom. And he's thinking God is up to something. And He wants to open up. I'm sure as soon as he sees them, he wants to open up and tell them who he is, so much so that he keeps running out of the courtroom back into his chambers and weeping and breaking down in tears because he can barely contain himself because he wants so much to reconcile. He's forgiven them completely. He wants to reconcile with them. But he knows that they have to own what they did. And so he puts them through these tests where he interrogates them and he drives them to the truth and he wants them to repent for their good. Not that he needs to hear that to forgive them. He's forgiven them, but he needs them to see what they've done. And the way he knows what they finally repented is when one of the brothers, Judah, finally offers his life for his younger brother. He offers his life in place of his younger brother, Benjamin's life. And that's when Joseph realized they finally got it. They're undoing what they did to me. All their hate and malice, their murderous hate for me has been undone by this Willingness to sacrifice themselves. So, as soon as Judah does that, verse one, Judah has just offered to sacrifice himself, and then this happens. It says, Joseph could not control himself. And he says, Everyone get out of here. All of the Egyptian courtiers get out of here. I want to be alone with them. And then finally, he takes off the headdress, he wipes off the makeup. And it says that he made himself known to his brothers. He says, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. And it says in verse 12, someone pointed this out to me today. It says with his own mouth, with his own mouth, which means he's speaking in Hebrew for the first time. The whole time he's been using Egyptian because he's had a translator so they wouldn't know who he was. So for all of these weeks this has been going on, he's been using a translator. Now he finally speaks to them in his mother tongue of Hebrew. It's a very powerful moment. And their first reaction is not to hug him. They don't go up for a big hug. Because they're worried, obviously. They're terrified. This man who has all this power over them is the one that they tried to kill. It says in verse 3, they were dismayed. They couldn't even speak. They were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph reassures them with providence in this one sentence in verse four that could be the biblical definition of what providence is. You sold me into Egypt, but don't be distressed because you sold me here. I mean, he makes them own all of their sin. You sold me, and under that word sold is a lot of stuff that happened. If you double-click on that word sold, this thing pops up, which is a ton of terrible stuff. He does not minimize the pain. You sold me into Egypt. You did that. You threw me in a pit, you made 20 pieces of silver on my life, you ate a meal above the pit while I was crying out in pain, and you told my dad I was dead. You sold me. He does not minimize their sin or his suffering. I mean, this is not a children's story. Let's not pretend that this was all just kind of fun and games. There would have been flashbacks, there would have been insomnia, there would have been crippling mistrust that Joseph had would have had to get through, there was loneliness. This is trauma, this is deep. This is as deep as any trauma you can imagine. These people who he thought loved him, do this to him, 22 years in slavery, unjustly in prison, all alone in Egypt. That's massive trauma. You sold me into Egypt, but then he says, but don't be distressed. Why not? Because God sent me. God sent me for bigger purposes to preserve life, to bring life to this planet. To preserve life not only in Egypt, not only in Israel, but in the entire Mediterranean world. You sold me into slavery, but God sent me before you to preserve even your life. Who betrayed me, who hated me. He does not minimize the pain, but he also does not minimize what God is doing. You don't need to be distressed because God is up to something. And whatever is happening in your life, same thing. You know, somebody mistreated you and you can say to them, you mistreated me. You did that to me. But God, God is doing something to bring life, bring life into this world, life into even our relationship. You did that, but God is acting. That's providence. That's providence. I was one time feeling very nervous about life, uh, feeling very isolated. I was uh, working in Scotland. Um, I was missing Margie. Margie. Um, I was purposeless, I didn't know what I was gonna do next. I had graduated from college, but I didn't know my next step. And I was high on this mountain in the highlands of Scotland, it was beautiful. I was looking out over these green hills, um, jagged cliffs, and these lakes, they call them locks, that are like uh, these finger inlets uh, that were shining in the distance. It was was this moment where you kind of squint um, into the unseen realm. If you've ever had a moment like that where I was listening to music, uh, the the leaves, you know, the trees were kind of shimmering. And suddenly it was like one of those magic eye books. If you've seen one of those books where you look at those kind of tie dye shapes and the more you look at them, they become like a 3D image. If you've ever seen that. And I was looking out on that landscape with all this sense of purposelessness and futility and frustration. It was kind of like I realized all this has purpose to it and this face kind of came out of came into view in a way a face behind all these things and i was aware that there was a reason for all these things i didn't know what it was god didn't tell me what it was but i just realized this is not accidental there's something going on here there are purposes that are bigger than me at play here and it took away a lot of my anxiety and providence is the exact opposite of anxiety Uh, Anxiety is killed by providence. Anxiety is the world is out of control. Everything is dangerous. God is asleep. God is not doing anything. God doesn't care. Providence is there is an immense life-giving purpose, even in my deepest pain. Whether it's vocational failure, uh, children that are very difficult, heart attacks, uh, seizures, cancer. I've been through all those things. Providence keeps telling me you can trust me. I'm doing something here. This is not without purpose. And the hardest time to trust in providence is when you did the thing. It's when you committed the sin. It's when you mistreated someone. That's when it's really hard to believe this. And that's what the situation of these brothers is. These brothers are horrified because they violated their brother. They, they mocked their brother. Uh, they used their brother in the worst way possible. They wanted him dead. They said things to him that they can never take back. And that's the hardest time to believe in providence. But it says in verse 5, do not be distressed. Joseph says, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. God did that for life. God brought that about for life. Now, I'm not saying here, and the Bible's clearly not saying, to stuff your feelings and pretend it didn't happen. Stoicism, just, you know, white knuckle it, get through it. Don't feel that, that pain. That's exactly the opposite of what's going on here. It says in verse 2, He wept so loud that the Egyptians heard it, who were not in that room. He wept so loud that even the household of Pharaoh heard him. Now the Bible wants you to know that. Moses is telling us that to say, there is massive amounts of pain that was finally released at that moment, finally let out. There was, that was a scream you know that painting by Edvard Munch of the scream? That was a scream that had been inside for 22 years. And it's coming out. The Bible is really big on weeping, on mourning. Blessed are they who mourn. So I'm not saying to stuff your feelings. But to know that in that, in that moment of the scream, in that great cry, that weeping, God's purposes for life are bigger than anything you can imagine. They're enormous. They're multitudinous. They're things we... They're much bigger than our life. This is the entire Mediterranean world that we're talking about here. God sent me before you to preserve even a remnant on earth in verse seven. So the remnant on earth is really the biggest picture of all. What Joseph is saying is that we, the nation of Israel, we are the remnant of people that believe in God. We are that remnant of very few people in this earth that actually know that the king is in control and the king is good. We are the, we are the, the first of the kingdom. We have a little tiny seed of the kingdom of God. And God is doing all this to preserve us. Providence is there to preserve us. We are the people waiting on the Messiah, Joseph is saying. God, God, you sent me here, but God sent me here before you to preserve a remnant. That's providence. God bringing life out of death and sin. The Messiah's remnant out of this amazingly toxic family. This terrible family God is working his purposes through there. So that's the first point. Second point, providence changes Joseph's heart. Uh, it releases him from this hard knot of bitterness that had occurred to him. Now, this was a daily process. So it wasn't just one-time release. But in, in verse 14, you see him. It says, he fell on Benjamin's neck and wept. This is what happened between Jace, Jace, uh Jacob and Esau when they had that reunion the same phrase he fell on his neck and wept some commentators think they were like rolling on the ground, laughing, crying for love of each other he fell on his neck and wept that's that's what Providence could do to preserve his heart from growing bitter and cold if, if you know he, he must have murmured for years his heart must have been tempted to murmur for years if only I could be back home with my dad and my robe and my sheep and if only my family could see me in this position of power and if only I had not gone out to those wells that day far from home where they tried to kill me if only this you know what if what if what if those what ifs that make us so miserable Joseph could have been destroyed by that that plaque you know of resentment that builds up slowly on our mind over time as we think about what if that had not happened but providence is like one of those dentist drills you know the the that just it just nailed with, with water just high pressure water nailing that plaque just breaking it up and releasing you know releasing um the pain the weeping just constantly processing that with god uh, over and over, God saying, I've got this, I'm working, I'm with you, I love you. You know, 22 years of this, it takes time. It's not a one-time process. It's just constant uh, giving that to God. But it releases these natural affections that Joseph have, has had that he never really got to feel as a child. In verse 15, he kissed all his brothers and he wept on each one of them. He just goes from one to another weeping on each one of them. Again, all of that resentment is just released And and it's not just that he's not resentful, it's the opposite of resentment, he's generous to them. He's prepared for months, these wagons of gold and grain and bread and clothes. He's been preparing these wagons for his brothers because he is so free from resentment. You know, scarcity and anxiety makes you stingy, like there might not be enough out there, but providence makes you generous. That God is going to provide what I need and I can give this away. Verse 22, it says, Have no concern for your goods, brothers. The best of the land of Egypt is yours. That's actually a fulfillment of the blessings to Abraham. God in Genesis 12 said, Abraham, I will will bless you. All the nations will bless you. And that's coming true even here. The, The best of Egypt is yours. Verse 23, Ten donkeys are loaded with grain and bread for his father back in Israel. He even anticipates, I love this line at the very end, he anticipates their foolishness. He knows that even though he's changed, they, they're going to take a lot of time to change all the way. And so he says, as they departed, he smiled and said, please don't quarrel on the way. It's like a mother with her children when she leaves the room. Please don't quarrel. And, and he knows they're, he's, he, he loves them that well. He's that free of resentment that he's actually protecting them from quarreling on the way. These are the people that tried to kill him. So providence can change your whole vision of reality, and it can change the way you feel about people. It's the whole family system here. It's uh, it's not just Joseph, it's Jacob. Jacob's gonna be brought into this story later on. Judah, Simeon, Benjamin, the entire system, all 12 brothers, all of Israel is being changed by this. And all the alienation in the family, the arrogance of Joseph, the jealousy of the brothers, the hatred, the pit, the slavery, the prison, the famine, all of that is being redeemed by God. Actually better than if it had never happened. That's the really shocking part. Better than if it had never happened. From all of that comes, I am Joseph. Come near me. I will provide. It's me. Go get dad. The hugging, the weeping, the kissing, The conversation, hours and hours of conversation processing, 22 years apart. I mean, the wine, the laughter, the feasting that these 12 brothers would have experienced together. And then Jacob comes in. I mean, the end of the story changes everything. And this is where I want to end. I was having lunch with Matt English, um, who, by the way, has just written a book that he is doing a Kickstarter campaign for. So Matt English... Get the book if you have a chance, but I was having lunch with Matt English this week and he told me um, last weekend, you know, Wake Forest lost a football game based on really one play, if you will, one really big play. Uh, This week, Wake Forest won a football game on one play, pretty much the last play. Now those three and a half hours of watching that game were almost identical the two weeks. Almost the exact same experience, except for that one 30 second play. But that play changes the entire experience afterward. And you cannot say anything about that story until there is that last play. And so what if you believed that the last play, the very end of things was going to be eternal life just flooding the world through the resurrection. If that is what we believe is the way the story ends, that changes entirely everything about the way we feel. You can be the exact same experience of two different lives, but if you know how it's going to end with pure agony, that's going to make it a miserable story. But if you believe that there is joy and peace and life and the future that is coming, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that all this pain and suffering is leading to the, the new creation coming, filled with eternal life, that changes everything. Because we believe as, as Christians, the, the, the Christian story is that the one, the, the greater Joseph came, the one who was cast into a deeper pit, was raised to rule the world in a greater way than Joseph, to rescue the entire world from perishing. And that's what we celebrate. Love these rascals.